Living Local, telling the stories that connect us. A United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County podcast. If you are a fan of The Moth, StoryCorps, or any other storytelling podcast, you will love Ex Fabula, a local live storytelling event series. United Way had the privilege of partnering with Ex Fabula in February of 2016 for a storytelling event. Here is creator Megan McGee to tell you a little bit more about this great night. I'm Megan McGee and I'm the Executive Director of Ex Fabula. And we are a Milwaukee nonprofit that strengthens community bonds through the art of storytelling. One of the ways we do that is through our monthly Story Slam series. And we had one recently in February where the theme was fatherhood. And we were able to partner with United Way and with Life Course Initiatives for Healthy Families and also with uh, Walnut Way Men's Conservation. Uh, the, they have a men's wellness group that we'd worked with before. So we are able to reach out to them and say, we're going to be doing an event in your neighborhood. And we know that fatherhood is a topic that really matters to you. So we put out the invite and we had people come on down to 3041 North where we gathered for an evening of true personal stories all about fatherhood. My dad, I really never had a dad, but he told me that I was his kid number 99. I thought, and he was like, Jay? <laughs> so, so in his mind, he has, or he had 99 kids. And uh, he never liked any of them. He, he got married once. His wife, actually, his first wife, this year turns 100, and she's still alive. He, he died when I was nine. Uh, but we have, now through Facebook, I've met a lot of my brothers and sisters. And uh, when my father died, I met a lot of them. And I didn't know I had so many brothers and sisters. You know, I, I thought he was joking when he said that he had 99 kids. And... Uh, Fortunately or unfortunately, I am the number 99. I'm the, that magical number. And every single kid has a different story. He never lived with, with us, with my brother and me. He never lived with us. And uh, uh, I'm grateful for that. Uh, he had, with one family, he had five kids. And he gave three names to every kid. He was into Russian literature at the time. And he gave Russian names to every kid. So, and, and he was always, he was always drunk. And, uh, and, and when, when I tell the story of my father is he, he never, never, never had one friend. Never. And yet he had 99 kids. So he, somebody told me he was busy making love. <laughs> But my father was one of those people who would come to his house, whoever family he was living with, and he wouldn't talk to anybody. He would just come, and it was 3 p.m., and he would tell people, all right, everybody, go to sleep. It was 3 p.m. I said, go to sleep, everybody. And everybody had to go to sleep. Otherwise, you know, in his craziness, he would just react, get angry, and do crazy stuff. One of my brothers that I met a few years ago, he lives in Texas. He said that when he was 20, he decided that he was going to kill my father. And he got a gun. And he was waiting for my dad. And when my dad came home, he said, okay, I'm ready. Now you, you're going to die today. And my father you know, did 
didn't really talk much. He said, what, you are going to kill me? <laughs> you are not man enough to kill me. And my brother was 20, and he was shaking, and he, was, he decided he was going to end my dad's life that day. You know how much torment he had uh, through his 20 years. And he was ready, and he was going to do it. He said, you, you don't have the balls to do it. You won't do it. And he pulled the trigger, and the gun didn't go. And my dad was laughing at him. He said, see, I told you, right? You wouldn't do it. You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. And my brother said that at, the mo at that moment, he had to leave the house. And uh, I am from El Salvador originally, and he left he came to the United States by, by himself. And now I have, my oldest daughter is nine, and I'm trying to do everything completely different. What my father did uh, to his children and what he did to me, I'm trying to do everything that is very different. My daughter, she, she can say anything. I always tell her the truth, and she knows that I'm not gonna lie to her. When she asked me about Santa Claus, I got a phone call from the school that she had told every kid that Santa Claus was not real. And the teacher said, was that necessary? But, I was, but, but that's one of the things that I want because I was always silenced as a kid. I was always, uh, my laughter was always repressed. And one of the things that I wanted her to do was to live her life to the fullest. Thank you. Um, okay, so my story is not about my father. Um, my father was actually a really horrible role model. So I swore that when I was going to actually get married and have children, that I was going to marry somebody completely different than my dad. So this story is actually about my husband. So the first day I met my husband, he was amazing. He was all chiseled, kind of like caveman-ish and super like manly and I like fell instantly in love with him and I thought oh my god this is the guy I'm going to spend the rest of my life with for sure no no lie I'm just going to spend the rest of my life with him fast forward about the first year I asked him the one question the one question that I've asked every single other guy that I've ever dated in my entire life and they've all answered it wrong I asked him I said what would you do if we had kids would you babysit those kids if I wanted to go out? And he looked at me, and he looked at me like real fiercely. And he said, no, of course I wouldn't babysit. And I said, well, why is that? And with this really, really soft voice, he said, that's my kid. You don't babysit your own kid. So fast forward about five years, and here we are. We created life together. We created a kid, a human being, like this real live human being. And I'll tell you, I'm scared. And I'm looking at this like angel, this beautiful child. I mean, she's, she's like perfect in every way. And I'm scared. I'm really scared. Like I feel weaker than weak. And here's this man and he's like so strong and like tender. And he, he, he holds her like a, like a football. And like I don't, I, like I don't even want to touch her because I'm like frightened. I'm gonna break her. And 
And then I remember like watching him over these past five years with his with his nieces and nephews and these tiny little babies and remembering in my head like, oh, this is what a father's supposed to be like. Yeah, 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 I picked the right guy. This is what a father's supposed to be like. Fast forward 10 years, and here he is. He gets up every morning, and he quietly goes downstairs, and he wakes both of the children up, and he makes lunches for them, and he lets me sleep because he knows I want a career. And he lets me go to school, and he lets me get a master's degree, and, he, and, and in the meantime, he just sacrifices himself. He, he sits there and he sacrifices himself for these two little elementary school children that he loves with all his heart and soul. And I, and I stand back and I look at him and I think, oh my God, what an amazing individual. Fast forward 17 years. I look at my children and they're teenagers now and they make fun of him and he laughs and he jokes and I, and I look at myself and I think, God, I always get my feelings hurt. Like, you know, they make fun of me all the time and I, you know, I'm always like, oh, poor me. And, and he doesn't. He just, he looks at them and he smiles. And, and when I look at my kids, like I see in my son's face this beautiful man that I married this, this individual that I love, and I look at my daughter, and her cheeks smile like him. And I look at him, and I think in my head, you got it right. Dude, you got it right. You know how to be a father. My, my father wasn't in my life growing up. And my father figure was my, was my grandmother who was there for me. And my, my great-grandfather was also my father figure. He did fatherly things with me. He, he was blind the last years of his life. I'm also visually impaired, so when he got things to help himself out, he got them also for me. And that's one thing that I will always remember about my grandfather, who was my father figure. I wish my father was in my life. My father wasn't in my life because he was an alcoholic. And when I have children of my own, I'm going to make sure I'm always in their life, no matter what. No matter what problems I might be having, I'm going to make sure I'm always in their life. Hello. Um, topic, fatherhood. I got to be honest. Fatherhood scares me. I have an eight-year-old daughter, born April 5th, 2007. I'm gonna tell you why I'm scared. I'm scared because I see people that look like me dying for what I call no reason at all. When I see a man getting choked on the street for selling cigarettes and he dies, it makes me look back and think, what's so special about me? I can die for a dumb reason as well. So I feel a little paranoid. I feel like I'm walking on a tightrope sometimes. I feel like I don't want to die and leave my eight-year-old daughter without a dad. But I try to be courageous. Look at everybody looking all sad. I try to be courageous about it. Um, I'll be 40 in June. 
so I'm going to run my first half marathon. And you know, it's been kind of cold, and a lot of people don't like to run because it's cold. So I, but I've been running now, but to start off, it was really cold, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to walk. And it was like 10 at night, so I put on like three layer of clothes. I took my bicycle lights, I put them on the, the strings of my pants, because I'm thinking, I don't want to scare any white people. I want them to know that I'm just exercising. <laughs> so I'm walking and looking around. I come around the corner by Toys R Us, and there's people out. So I do what I normally do sometimes when I'm a little paranoid. I don't want white people to think I'm trying to rob them, trying to harm them in any way. Actually, I would help them. So I walk past Toys R Us, my head down. I'm coming back. I'm like, you know what? I'm crazy. I, this is crazy. Nothing's going to happen. So I look up. Ladies coming out of Toys R Us, she looks at me and takes off running to her car. I'm like, no, that's not happening. So I just keep walking. And part of me was like, let me just turn around and see. And she was running a full sprint. She got to her car and she stopped. She's trying to get her keys out. And she looks back at me face to face. I'm like, really? Like, what am I going to do? So my conclusion is, this happens a lot. Like when I'm teaching Sunday school, predominantly white church, white lady comes to get her kid, and I say, hey, how you doing? And she walks right past me and asks her, her son, is everything okay? What do you mean is everything okay? Or the time I left my car lights on, and I was like, let me just go check. So I'm bending down, looking in my car, and the guy's walking down the street with his girlfriend. I guess he felt macho and probably looked like I'm stealing the car at my house, and he yells at me. And I'm like, really? Conclusion is, I think I need therapy. Because it's a lot different in here when I'm with all these smiling faces. But outside, it's, it's scary sometimes for me being a father and raising an eight-year-old. Thank you. I don't have any kids, you know what I'm saying? Every time I meet a woman, she wonders why I don't have no kids. You know what my answer is? I ain't got no wife. I don't want no baby mama. I want a, I want a wife, you know? So, my, my father, my daddy is from Mount Bayou, Mississippi. My, I found out in my teenage years, at 40 years old, at 40-something years old, I found out my father couldn't read. Don't feel wrong for me. Don't feel bad for him. At 40-something years old, my daddy owned about 20 properties. He had been on his job for 20 years and had me living in Glendale, you know, graduated from Nicolay High School. So he did something right. But his pride and joy was a 1984 Cadillac. Uh, <laughs> so y'all know where this story about to go. Yeah, I, got, I, got, I, got my, I got my hands on them keys. I took them keys and uh, I, went, I went to the movies. And I ended up crashing that car all the way up. And uh, I didn't just crash it up. I took it home, parked it back in the garage. <laughs> Acting like did nothing happen. <laughs> so the next day, I had, uh, it was 1994, the year I graduated. The next day, I was going on a college tour. So I knew I was about to leave, so I didn't have to deal with it. You know, he can, he'll get over it by the time I get back, you know. and. Uh, 
I jumped on that bus and I took that trip. <laughs> and that just showed me who my daddy is. But see, to, to understand who my daddy is, I got to give a backstory on my daddy. Imagine two of me. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's my daddy, two of me. And my daddy, back in the day, I grew up down the street where I first originally grew up was down the street from Rufus King off of 18th of Congress. <laughs> my daddy, he pulled up. When he pulled down the street, all the smart kids ran in the house. They ran in the house. Because when my daddy got out that, out that car, if you was outside, he made you pick up trash. That's what my daddy did. He made you clean up that block because you was outside. You know, and my name is Horace Tucker II. My daddy is Horace Tucker Sr. And I'm so proud of my daddy. And I mean, I got a daddy. I know my daddy. Sometimes you go around people when you take it for granted, you know, that you know your daddy. Everybody ain't got that. Everybody ain't got it. When you come across somebody that ain't got no daddy, give them a hug, you know? Because I know mine, and I got a good one. Thank you to our storytellers, Nelson Lopez, Don Helmrich, Caesar Creighton, Nakia Hood, and Horace Tucker. Thank you also to Ex Fabula for sharing their audio of this night and for agreeing to let us rebroadcast these stories. To learn more about Ex Fabula, including upcoming show dates, visit their website, www.exfabula.org. That's E X F A B U L A.org. We have also linked to this website in the blog post that goes along with this episode. A special thank you to Ethan and Maeve McCaig for providing the music and voice talent for our introduction. Living Local is produced by myself, Katie Kuhn, Rebecca Shimke, Melissa Hannon, and Brian McCaig. Interested in supporting our podcast? We are looking for sponsors at every level to help us underwrite the cost of production and to help us continue sharing the stories that connect us. For information and to get involved, visit our website, unitedwaygmwc.org podcast.